Nothing to Declare, a poem by Lauren K. Elaine. There is no name for what rises in you as you enter the dim world of the taxi and wheel through the night, escorted by smooth jazz and a battalion of street lights. At the airport, you heave the bags you've stuffed to the limits of carriage and check them in. You have no trouble knowing what to do with your empty hands. At security, the usual stripping, you surrender your body to the scan, the searching sweep, as if what is dangerous is not what cannot be so easily detected. You comply. At the gate, grateful to be early, you sit with your books, plug-in devices that tell you to this place you're meant to be leaving, that crowd out thoughts of arrival and its bittersweet complications. You going home or you just visiting? Someone will ask. And you never know how you will answer. You know the bones of your mother's brown arms will wind around you. Her breath against your neck will baptize you again in names. You have no one to call you in the other place you belong to. You know the waiting untended in you will surge towards her. And you know something else will sink, sulk itself into a familiar, necessary sleep. You know yourself now only as the ocean knows this island. Always pulling away, always, always returning. You're listening to Conversations in Atlantic Theory, a podcast dedicated to books and ideas generated from and about the Atlantic world. In the collaboration with the Journal of French and Francophone Philosophy, these conversations explore the cultural, political, and philosophical traditions of the Atlantic world, ranging from European critical theory to the Black Atlantic, to sites of indigenous resistance and self-articulation, as well as the complex geography of thinking between traditions, inside traditions, and from positions of insurgency, critique, and counter-narrative. Today's discussion is with Chris Seeley, who teaches in the Department of Philosophy at Fairfield University in Fairfield, Connecticut. She has published widely in European philosophy, philosophy of race, philosophical questions arising from racialized experience in the Americas, and anti- and decolonial theory in the Black Atlantic. Her first book, Moments of Disruption, Levinas, Sartre, and the Question of Transcendence, was published in 2013 by State University of New York Press. And her second book, which is the topic of this conversation, was published in 2020 by Northwestern University Press and is titled Creolizing the Nation. Chris, how are you? I am doing well, John. Thank you so much for having me and, you know, asking me to um, to join you for this conversation. I'm excited. Absolutely. Um, I really mean this. I absolutely love this book. I think it's... I appreciate it. Thank you. I think it's one of the most uh, important books in the last few years to do really creative work in this sort of intersection of philosophy experience of the Americas and so forth and it's the kind of stuff I want us to have a chance to get into and hear you reflect on your own work which is always uh, both very strange because it's a book that takes so long for it to get out there and then right. it, it's published and then somebody wants to know what you thought about the things you wrote year you know, exactly. a couple of years later. As you try to make sense of like wait what just happened? <laughs> it's always a little bit of a strange experience. Exactly. Um, well let me start I, with the a really general question, and this is a sort of invitation 
for a personal narrative. You know, as you know, writing a book means investing an incredible uh, amount of energy, time management, priorities, and so forth. And so books come with motivations, right? There's an energy behind the composition process. There are commitments that uh, hold you up through all of those moments of, you know, pauses, doubts, confusion, um, mm -hmm. and so forth. And so I'm curious mm -hmm. to hear uh, for you what really motivated this project. Yeah, I mean, all of those things that you just said, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's an expensive endeavor in terms of time and energy. Um, and I, I think, so the, the questions that really got me into working through them in a way that started to look like a book, I should say, mm -hmm. um, had been with me for um, quite some time. And, and if I can sort of whittle them down to maybe one or two sentences, it would be, you know, questions around um, uh, how to make sense of my own experience as an immigrant living in the, residing in the United States, um, you know, for years that kept adding on and on and on mm -hmm. <laughs> in ways mm -hmm. that I hadn't planned for it to. Um, and doing all of that, all, all, you know, living that life in a way that very much still considered home to be somewhere else, right? Um, so, you know, originally uh, I was born and raised sort of like fully, was fully formed into an adult um, in Trinidad, left Trinidad when I was 19. Um, and so I've, so I've been in the United States for a really long time, right, to go to school and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, at some point <coughs> when enough years went by, you know, I was in a position to, um, to make the decision to become a naturalized U.S. citizen. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, uh, that just like opened up a ton of questions for me. Um, not, not, not not only like the logistical questions that, you know, plague so many folks in my situation, right? Living as an immigrant far away um, and then having children and families and so on and so forth, but like really like deep philosophical questions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what would that mean um, to make that decision to become naturalized? What would, would it mean to decide not to become naturalized? Yeah. Um, you know, wh what is it really, what is it what what does it really mean to um, belong to a space that is national in that kind of way and then I think th the question that really got me into reading things and thinking about things that became the book was this question of um, you know uh, is there a, are there a multiplicity of ways to to participate in this space that we name a nationalized or a nation space, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so ultimately that was it. And then all of that got like way more complicated and messy when I found myself, and I, you know, I talk about this in the introduction of the book, um, when I found myself being a parent to a, a, to a, a U.S. human being, right? A U.S. A US human being, I like that phrase. A U.S. human being, right? With the eagle and the passport and all that good stuff. I'm like, well, what does this mean, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, and, you know, like, 
like I think so many of us do, which is why we end up in this profession, right? We we have personal stakes in a in a set of questions, and you know, um, we kind of work out those we work out those stakes by by writing about it. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I was just I started reading about it and writing about it and eventually it began to take on the kind of coherence that um that that started looking like a book i love that i'm really glad i asked the question actually i mean i find it interesting how uh people find their way their way into projects um Mm -hmm. i think just in general it's an interesting question i did think exactly that you know thinking about the introduction but um also about your own movement from you know between geographies which you know geography is in the deepest sense and that this book Mm -hmm. really engages uh, i want to talk in a a bit about some of the figures you discuss uh, and why but you know a lot of those figures are figures in movement between you know the between martinique and algeria martinique and paris or louisiana jamaica california and so forth and so there's a resonance uh in in your personal story with the kinds of of ideas and thinkers that show up but before yeah and yeah so yeah movement is definitely you know in the middle of all of those questions so if i want to get into some of those figures and and you know why and what you think they they tell us uh in the project but maybe before that, you know, I also really loved your first book. Uh, you and I share this, that our first books were on uh, Manuel Levinas's work. Uh, we had Absolutely. different sort of orientation, but still shared that sort of first book, dissertation project. Mm-hmm. Um, and when mm-hmm. I read, think of the two books alongside each other, having read both of them uh, quite closely, it's interesting to me because it is, in terms of citations, a break. Right. And so I think Indeed. I think if one Absolutely. were to flip through the bibliography, it's, you know, the, the foundations of post-World War II uh, French thought and moments of mm-hmm. disruption. And then in Creolizing the Nation, you have a whole different set of citations. So I'm Absolutely. curious if how you understand the movement between those books. Obviously, the bibliographies are very different, but at the same time, even just in your narration of what motivated the project was about difference and how to make sense of difference. Well, that mm-hmm. how to make sense of difference is the critical uh, core of moments of disruption. So I'm curious in, in how you think of continuity and break in terms of your first two books. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I appreciate that question, and and I would I would say. I would say this too, so because I do want to, I do want to get this point, you know, into our conversation, right? So, to your point of us, you know, sharing that, um, that, uh, that, that, that first book figure, right, Levinas, um, you know, um, I have to say that you were one of the one of the folks that um, that that convinced me that I needed to take someone like Edward Lisan seriously, right? And so I, you know, it's through it's through seeing you and reading you kind of toggle between that constellation of texts, the sort of Levinas and Levinasian citations and Glissant, um, that that really piqued my own curiosity. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think there's a bridge. There's a bridge to be recognized and articulated. Um, <clears throat> but to even maybe um, 
you know, dialed back even further. Um, so, you know, why I think I was primed, right, to be convinced to take someone like Lisant um, seriously and engage in 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 his texts and and his you know his conceptions is I think so so I was drawn to Levinas um, I discovered him I think this was like my third semester in my graduate program at, at Memphis I was drawn to Levinas because I um, I found his way of articulating um, this question of difference and the ways in which that question of difference sort of bears out um, for these these ethical implications uh, really interesting um, and and um, and 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 deep and novel um, and it resonated with me ultimately because I was attracted to that narrative or that story of the meaning of the ethical right with mm -hmm. difference or the singularity of difference and at, at the center of that story um but what i think <coughs> was always something that i couldn't get from levinas um and which kind of uh addresses more specifically your question um was that out of out of levinas's story um or that sort of post war post world war ii story mm -hmm about the question of the ethical with difference at the center um, is another story about relationality, yeah. right? What, what, how ought we to be thinking about relationality or forming relationships um, in ways that, that can align with or gel with this, what I continue to find a really compelling story about Levinasian difference or that like mm -hmm. singularity of difference um and so because i think ultimately my my being drawn to that question of the ethical um was and continues to be because um i'm i'm, I'm interested in all of the ways we can think about relationality yeah. um in ways that that don't take us away from the ethical but like mm -hmm. supports conceptions of the ethical and human thriving and I and and at least for me that's what um, that's what someone like Glissant's Glissant's conception of compositeness um, has given to me so that would be the bridge so that question of relationality I think got me uh, moved me away from that constellation of thinkers into the into the constellation that the second book grappled with and I have to say just as a sort of side note um, rereading your book, thinking about our conversation, um, and then thinking about it in relationship to moments of disruption, it did make me wonder um, if we, we who have taken Levinas really seriously, and not mm -hmm. simply taken Levinas seriously as a sort of philological project of ex exposition of text, but really taking him right. seriously as a thinker, I, mm -hmm. I wonder if we if if any of us have taken him seriously as a border crosser i mean he clearly that is, is a jew question. in christian europe and the whole greek jew jew greek that that mm -hmm. derrida picks up but you know lithuania is not france and mm -hmm. um you know it, it and this is a you know <laughs> i'm not, not going to try to have us uh compose a book on the spot but it uh, right <laughs> hearing you talk reminded me of this thought that i had it's like 
he is a border crosser, you know, in, he is. in, in yes. that way that's so, very strange. But he doesn't talk about being Lithuanian in the same way that, right. you know, you're talking in your sort of narration of the nature of the project as, as, as Trini and a citizen residing er, residing in the United States. That was interesting. You pause on the residing, right? Like right. being yeah. between borders yeah. and that that movement is crucial and critical for your own orientation towards this project. It is interesting mm-hmm. about that Lithuanianness, right? It may be for us as yeah, readers. it is, and and that and that makes me wonder. And I, <coughs> again, this is completely off the cuff here because because I think you I think you're right. That's a that is a piece that is a piece that is missing from his story, and I wonder if there is something about that experience of border crossing. Um, when it's grounded in that global south history yeah. um, there are ways in which it has to be central in ways that perhaps it doesn't have to be right if you remove that context of the global south i don't know i think that's the power of europeanness actually in, in yeah. somebody like levinas's thought is in other words <laughs> is it's a local border rather than a, a decisive border but Indeed, but I exactly. Think, I think these two books together and just your early remarks do make me think about, you know, is there a, is there a way to really jolt Levinasian mm-hmm. thought into the, mm-hmm. his lithuanian No. I mean, I personally I would agree. need to research Lithuania a little bit. I'm not sh- quite sure I know too much about Lithuania. In your spare time, let's do it. <laughs> yes, I have Wikipedia for a reason. <laughs> now, if anyone listens to this and I eventually write that essay, they will go look up, uh, cross-check my facts with Wikipedia, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of figures, uh, you know, one of the things that really strikes me uh, about the book, and I thought this... Um, I don't is this indiscreet to say I was one of the referees for the book? I don't know if the referees are blind, you but know I'm, what? I'm also on the back it's of the out, book. It's out there it's out there now and um <laughs> I'm 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 grateful for the for the, the secret that's now out loud, so thank you. I I appreciate your your, your work. Because that is a labor of love. Yes. And, uh, refereeing, so I appreciate that. Luckily, you were, you were, this was an easy case as a referee. But my own remark on the back sort of notes this, and it was one of the things that I said in the, the report, I remember, because reading the project, um, I had anticipated something very different, <laughs> knowing moments of disruption. I had anticipated a different book right, when I saw your right. name on the cover, or in the uh, manuscript, because those aren't blind in review, referee reports. But... Mm-hmm. Um, I just was really struck by the extraordinary literacy in the project that you bring together really unexpected thinkers. I mean, you've mentioned, you know, Glissant, and there's a kind of way that somebody like Glissant, in terms of Francophonie and this sort of, you know, idea of relation and relationality, there's a sort of natural gravity, you know, they gravitate towards each other in in some conceptual ways or even just terminological ways. Fanon, of course, the sort of same era, major figure. Mm -hmm. But you have Mm -hmm. a lot of other figures in there that just no one has ever thought to put into this kind of project. I I do. Anzaldúa, Winter, the Creolis, Ortega, um, and so forth. And so I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on what was behind those choice of thinkers. And I ask that both, again, as a sort of autobiographical reflection, but also because Mm -hmm. our choice of figures is not just who populates the bibliography, right? It's not just who we decided to include in our citations. Thinkers frame like the things themselves. 
they make us Absolutely. see something that we wouldn't see if we weren't reading through Absolutely. Andalur right. or Winter. So they're our right. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. you know, both what motivated your, uh, what's behind your choice of thinkers, and also what you think this constellation, because it really is like a constellation in a really beautiful way, uh, how you think these particular, this particular constellation helps us see something really important that the book's trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, so I would, I would, I would answer that in in two ways, and but I think these two ways are very much connected. Um, and so the first thing I want to say is really coming from just really quite simple honesty, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the time, I, so I I started really like officially and seriously working on this book, right? In other words, making that shift from, you know, sort of reading and taking notes to, okay, I am trying to find some coherence here, right? Because I think that what I want this to be is a book. So that started happening for me um, a couple months after I got tenure. And, you know, I think for like for so many of us, you know, that moment, right, where you sort of, you get to that next stage professionally or career-wise, um, and you, you, you can, right, this is an option that's available to you, you give yourself uh, space and permission to, to kind of breathe, mm-hmm. um, and to kind of breathe in why ultimately you chose to be an academic, which yeah. is just to like, learn stuff and read stuff. And I think we talk, both of us talked about this um, um, at various points in the past, right? To just kind of like take a step back and just like read a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, because like at what point does one ever have the opportunity to do that? Mm-hmm. So I made a pretty conscious decision to just do that. Um, I was taking care of a, a brand new human my youngest had just been born mm-hmm. um and so i would just like i i, I was just re- i just read i'm like i'm just going to read for the sake of reading and a, a a big part of um why my constellation of thinkers <laughs> ended up being what it was um is is just it it just so happened to be that these particular texts these particular figures um, happened to be on my desk at the same time I love because that. I was just so yeah I was just like you know again like well maybe maybe there was there was a, a little bit more intentionality behind it right I really was guided by this question of relationality um, trying to make sense of in betweenness trying to make sense of why the hell was I being so stubborn and just like, why couldn't I just go get naturalized already and be done and be Mm -hmm. done with it. Right. Um, and so, so driven by those questions of in-betweenness and homemaking, um, and movement between borders and, and figuring out how to, how to, 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 to engage in a kind of home, home, home tactics, right? To borrow uh-huh. Mariana Ortega's language, in the midst of all of that, um, really drew me to the text that ultimately ended up on the desk mm-hmm. at the same time um, when these, when all of this started taking form of a book, mm-hmm. right? The shape of a book, um, and so, 
you know, and, and, and so in reading them together, I was sort of kind of struck and blown away by the fact that no one had thought to bring these texts together before, you know, like you said, I thought I was stumbling into something obvious and that had been said and done before. Well, I, I um, just if I could jump in, I mean, I had that experience reading. I was like, why didn't I read these people together? <laughs> I mean, that's a really, <laughs> right? that's a magical thing about like thinking and writing is you can do that to people. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I see I, that I exactly that. what you mean. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and they're, they're all, and they're all, they're all grappling with these questions. So, you know, Anzal Dua, Maria Lugones, they're all grappling with these questions and to just, it was just, it was just like fun and exciting for me to see the, all the different metaphors and, and, and mm-hmm. geographic constellations and, and frames um, that that they were each using or offering um, mm-hmm. to grapple with what, to my mind, are very similar sets of problems and question sets, yeah. right? So you have Lugones playful world traveling, and you have Guisant with the rhizome, and you know, and so I try to to treat them, um, and you know, I try to give them their own individual space yeah. in the book. These various metaphors. Um, but the way in which they, they came up against each other and like vibrated with similar residents, um, I, I, I just, just for that sake alone was a really fun thing to think about and write about. And I use that word constellation and the way you just described that, I, it made me happy that I used that word because, you know, the way constellations work, you know, we... Right. usually suffer from light pollution but if you can get outside i'm from out west where you could get away <laughs> from light pollution you would see it I, I remember i had an uncle who used to point out the constellations and i was like how do you even see the relationship between these stars yeah, but that's the creativity right? of vision right to see the, the 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 way there's a pattern there and as soon as you see it it all clicks together right absolutely and that's what i feel that like in was... this book when i, I remember because i do this usually when I referee manuscripts I look through the bibliography just mm-hmm, to anticipate mm-hmm. you know is there something missing mm-hmm. here that I think would be helpful and let me see Absolutely. if it's actually helpful while I read and I looked through there and I was like this is kind of a wild set of references like I had never seen <laughs> this know. before right wild in a really good I like wild so um wild in a really good sense but I was like I can't wait to see where this goes and I had that experience like somebody pointing out a constellation it was like oh right. that does look like you know an archery you know an archer or a bull yes you know um and i think that's one of the the really amazing parts of the book it's a very meticulously argued book you know i I love as a philosophy phd as well uh, i love that meticulousness of philosophy but it has so much creative conceptual work that makes the constellation look like something and I really love mm-hmm. that. About and it. I appreciate that. And and you know, it was I mean, what a, what 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 one sees as a reader in those sections of the book, um, you know, is is just is just me quite plainly kind of working through what the shit like I I should say it this way. I, as I began writing through how these thinkers were connected I didn't have a head like ahead of time what that what that shape was going to be, whether it was like an archer or a bull, right? Um, 
and and I think that's why it was it was such an enjoyable experience for me. Um, and you know, I wondered if it, it if it would fly. Sure, um, of course. <laughs> so I was was very happy to see that it did. But that was just like that's me in real time, kind of working it out. Um, you know, in ways that I hoped would be interesting to to read. So. And I think in that way, you know, it's a reminder that that there's a kind of combination of like courage and leap of faith i mean maybe they're the same thing Absolutely. Uh, that comes yep. with writing um writing in unexpected ways and this book is written in really mm-hmm. unexpected ways in terms of the the grouping of thinkers but it's done in such a way you know that that it tells a very coherent story i, d- I agree with you 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 give each figure when necessary their their individual space and and right. As someone... And that was important for me to do because what I didn't want to do was sort of like collapse, right, collapse everyone and everything into um, my sort of <coughs> myopic version of what I wanted these thinkers to be. Sure. So that that definitely was um, something that I I was very attentive to in in that exploration. So, yeah. well, let me ask you um, about a, a couple of the chapters at the end of the book in, in particular. I wanted to start with, I don't know if it's the penultimate chapter or the final chapter, because that's the one that comes before the conclusion. I'm never sure if the conclusion mm-hmm. right. counts as a chapter. but um, Yeah, I don't the, know. <laughs> so, I still don't know. Um, yeah, so anybody is listening and wondering why John doesn't know that, you know, I, I have other skills. Um, yeah, right, exactly. And, and we appreciate you for that. So, <laughs> so um I mean, uh, one of my favorite chapters, maybe my favorite chapter, is the the chapter on Fanon and composite culture. Uh, I think this is one of those chapters, or it's the chapter where the conclusion, I mean, has, it's a conclusion, so it's where you sort of let yourself loosen up in terms of analysis and and, and claims. Mm-hmm. But that's a chapter mm-hmm. that, the, the um, Fanon and composite culture, that is very um, scholarly rigorous and you know, he's close to texts and key points, but it's also a place where I think you do a lot of really creative work because you are mixing together this yeah. Fanon, which was who was not someone who generated this concept of composite culture and this idea of composite culture. And of course, creolizing the nation, right? It's about composite and it's about culture. So is this kind of a, a definitional question for uh, to ask you? You know, what what do you mean by this idea, this notion of composite culture, and how do you think it mm-hmm. helps hold the book's argument together? Because it's really the culmination of the book, right? In, in mm-hmm. many many ways, so it struck mm-hmm. me as really the most important chapter in that all of the mo- all of the uh, energy of the book is is really uh, expelled there in a really compelling analysis. So. You know, what is this notion of composite culture and how do you think it holds the argument together? Yeah. Um, and so, so interestingly enough, and so this would be, this would be, I mean, to go back to our, <laughs> to our rumination, this would be the last chapter of the book before the conclusion. Mm-hmm. So I think that was either chapter six or some, five, but in any event. <clears throat> um, so this chapter was actually... Um, one of the first pieces of the book that I worked out, right? So it existed, this chapter existed as a published article 
um, before any other parts of the book. So, um, you know, for, 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 so I, so I think your, I think your reading of it and your sense of it is, is right. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a space where, um, I hash out what it is I wanted to say in mm -hmm. regards to, um, this question of compositeness, um, and how, how I saw Fanon, um, as a, as a frame and, um, as a, as a supportive mechanism to, to make these claims. Mm -hmm. um, all of that was sort of worked out first, and then the rest of the book kind of like folded around that, that main piece, if you will. Um, and so <coughs> I say all that to say, right, so uh, composite culture, uh, composite community, right, um, again, to go back to what were, what you could describe as sort of personal stakes mm -hmm. in the project, mm -hmm. right? What does it mean for someone like me to be residing in this space, um, uh, in this sort of in-between way, um, not being, not being at home, but still, uh, you know, um, still experiencing grounding, right? And then sort of returning back to that other space, that other geographic space, mm -hmm. Trinidad, um, which is both home, um, but in a sense at this point, also sort of, I wouldn't say foreign, but strange or home in a different kind of way as a consequence of time sure. and as a consequence of years, right? Um, and so, you know what I what I wanted to try to say, um, and to use Fanon as um, as as a resource to to say it was that um, <coughs> the 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 narrative that we often turn to or that we often expect when we think when we when we hear narratives of nationness or national belonging, um, I think too quickly bypasses or ignores or under theorizes um, that complexity and multiplicity of experiences mm -hmm. um, or, or that complexity or multiplicity of encountering um, the nation or, or nationness right as as an experience um, and so and so I think what I mean by compositeness is in that sense right so there are all these, various ways and experiences and modalities um, that nationness or or belonging or community more broadly construed gets experienced um, and and in a way that that still resides within this this frame of nationness um, and and I think one of the one of the way, one of the ways, a way that I try to read Fanon, and I think this is a way that one can read Fanon, is that, um, you know, when he gestures towards this sort of decolonial conception of nationness, mm -hmm. um, I think I think that is a piece of how of 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 what he might mean by that decolonial conception, right? A conception of nationness or a conception of relationality and togetherness um, that, that 
that allows for that kind of compositeness mm-hmm. or multiplicity um, and messiness, right? Um, yeah. in, in ways that don't often come to mind when we think of living within mm-hmm. the space mm-hmm. of the nation. Um, but I think that's all part of the story. Yeah, totally interesting. It's, it's such a fabulous chapter. Let me move forward. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's chapter six, by the way. <laughs> you were asking. It is, oh, thank you. <laughs> I forgot my own damn book. See? <laughs> That's chapter six. Yes. People. What I said chapter at the six. beginning, it's like it's a hard thing about talking about, about a book one writes. Is, uh, it seems right. so distant it once is it's the, published. Though. It's the hardest thing, right? And you have, sometimes you have to like reread the stuff. Like, what did, what did I say? Uh, That's the painful part. Yeah. <laughs> so following uh, chapter six uh, it th- is the conclusion. And uh, I remember, again, I remember reading the title and uh, creolizing as imperative. And it right. really caught my eye because so much of, not all of, but so much of, you know, thinking about, especially in Glissant's work uh, and, uh, you know, Chamasso, Bernabe, and Confiant, so much of that creolism and creolization work is talking about it as a historical experience that builds a certain kind of present, right? Mm-hmm. But creolizing as imperative, right, moves uh, not away from, but moves, you know, through that history of creolization as a story about the past and composite cultural mm-hmm. formation as it happens to make the Caribbean what it is. And an imperative then moves us towards a kind of future, Right. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted you to ask you to talk a little bit about what made you put the word imperative there. And I will say, if I can just also add a like sort of what would be a follow up question is it also, you know, I think it's a question I would want to ask alongside of your of your, you know, drawing our attention in that conclusion to the Trump presidency and the rise of right wing fascism. And it's like. Right an imperative announced in a present when we are seeing sort of, you know, democracy imperiled, we're seeing, um, you know, the rise of a, of a ethno-racial, uh, you know, nationalism and fascism. So that imperative mm-hmm. seems to, to also be freighted very intensely in terms of the present moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. It's creoli- right. So creolization is an imperative. So, so I would say that, so, you know, again, to go back to, you know, what, what one, the text that one happens to have on the table, on the desk at any given point in time, you know, one, one such text, you know, way back a couple years ago, um, was, um, uh, I'm forgetting the title, but it's the, the book that Amy Allen, uh, wrote and she published in, I don't know, 2017 2018 oh on decolonizing critical theory decolonizing critical theory yes yes and so it's in reading that text that really gave me the the language to think about to think about you know creolization or to think about the work and the methodology of creolization in terms of an imperative right Mm -hmm. and and i and i found that a lucrative connection to make or a lucrative um a lucrative sort of turn of phrase if you will Mm -hmm. to end the book with um because you know i i was 
I wanted to make sense of, well, two things. One, I wanted to, to make sense or find language to make sense of um, the ways in which Fanon, when he talks about, you know, the sort of decolonial idea of the nation, when he talks about this sort of new humanism, right? Um, f for me, it it's it's he he's he's quite on purpose um offering 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 that uh that imaginary or or that sort of gesturing towards that that future without sort of filling in the space uh -huh. right it's open ended um and it's supposed to be open ended because it's sort of grounded in in freedom and because it's grounded in freedom there's so much risk involved right mm -hmm. right um and and um there's no guarantees right <coughs> so so that sort of open endedness um that i think we get from fanon's conception of the decolonial um is what was was something that i found that, that I thought needed to be part of this story that I was offering in Creolizing the Nation, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, so that's one. And so then two, to connect to your formulation of the question, right? Creolization is often a frame um, or, or a conceptual tool that is used to make sense of these sort of uh, past cultural and linguistic machinations, yeah. right? Um, and. And though I think that that's that's true, I I also think that you know, in those past moments, there is all there has there's always been that question of futurity or that question mm -hmm. of the future, insofar as you know you know if by creolization, or sort of bricolage you 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 want to to see all that. Or, or you want to you, you think of those cultural expressions as, you know, the way a community of people are trying to make a way out of no way, yeah. right? Or trying to sort of produce the conditions for life when they have at their disposal something that is less than nothing, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that is always with the future in mind, yeah. right? And so, and so that conclusion was to just sort of invite us to think about the question of like well what about what about if we use that that's that frame of creolization as a way to understand what it might look like going into community building and community mm -hmm. formation mm -hmm. in that kind of open-ended in the spirit of fanon right in that open-ended kind of way yeah Right. And so and so that 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 concluding section, um, again, was just me sort of experimenting with mm. with that question space. Right. Um, uh, and, and I end and I end by saying, well, you know, to, to think about creolization in that way um, as a <coughs> as a as an orientation towards something that is opaque and open-ended and not yet defined or definable mm -hmm. is to also perhaps position us and our work to move beyond creolization itself. Yeah. Right, where we probably creolize ourselves out of creolization as a frame, mm -hmm. as a framing. 
Um, so, I mean, it brings yeah. to mind a, a number of things. I mean, I think of um, uh, one of the, what is the title of, you know, it's a problem of, of doing this without a quick look at my shelf. The, um, <laughs> you know, there's a Derrida essay. It was actually on Husserl's uh, uh, philosophy as a rigorous science. And Derrida mm-hmm. does Derrid- Derridian things with it. But one of the things he said is, you know, reason seeks out its other in order to destroy itself and rebuild itself. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, that's part of, it's paired with another essay on uh, autoimmunity, which is the same sort of thing. Like you may destroy democracy okay. to preserve democracy. And it right, seems, right. it seems like, you know, this is resonating with this kind of way that deconstruction, for example, doesn't lead us to, you know, a fixed set of play, right? But into this moment exactly. of the unknown into a moment of chaos and maybe also with glissant some of his later uh, ruminations on tout right what it means to think the whole mm-hmm. world as, so, exactly. as this this spread out across all difference without the desire to return yeah. exactly yeah yeah and so you know and, and so you know that that con- that those concluding questions um you know, I I understand very much as a door and an invitation to kind of, you know, pursue that. Mm-hmm, so the, mm-hmm. the book really ends with um, a, a gesture of its incompleteness in that sense, right? Yeah. What would that, what would a politics look like or what could a politics look like if we begin in that space? Yeah. And- you know, speaking of the sort of door, you know, that what we're let out of with the book, um, sort of two questions, right? One about reader, one about author. You know, uh, and I don't mean this as a who is your ideal reader, although that's always its own kind of interesting question. But where do you where do you imagine if the book is successful? Where do you imagine the book leaves us as readers? And then alongside mm-hmm. that, where does it leave you? And that can be, you know, leave you in terms of your lingering thoughts or, you know, perhaps concretely like your next project. Like, you know, we, as soon yeah. as we publish something, it's like, what's your next project? I'm not trying to do that. But, you know, you said it, you know, it's, it's a set of gestures of questions that sort of opens a, the back door of the book into something else. And so for readers, where do you want us to move? And for mm-hmm. you as mm-hmm. a writer... Where has it moved you for next questions? Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate that, and 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 it's, I mean, I do think that it that I do think I was thinking about that other book before I finished up this one, um, you know, not in a kind of like pressured like oh shit I gotta come up with this next book, but it it you know the, the questions were like rich and exciting mm-hmm. and and rigorous enough for me and yeah. as i kind of winded this one down to an end if not necessarily conclusion um and so you know now I'm, that i'm at the end i can sort of circle back um you know to your question well so two two of your questions one you know um what would i want uh what would be what what would I imagine to be my ideal gift, right, to readers of the book? I like that way of putting um, it. Yeah, and then and then sort of as an attendant question, right? The question about about Trump and this this moment we mm-hmm. that we're in, this sort of Trumpian moment that we're in. Um, you know, there's a 
there's a a, a quote that um, from Maria Lugones, and I think it from I think it's from um, pilgrimages, um, but I could be wrong, so don't you know, so don't um, take my word for this. Um, <coughs> but she, you know, she talks about she talks about her work, or she describes her work as uh, work that um, is really invested in um in 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 making legible the ways in which uh you know c communities that are you know on the margins disenfranchised disempowered um often on that sort of receiving end of the violence of colonialism how those communities so how they're able to inhabit this power grid in great resistance right uh -huh. how exactly how do we inhabit this power grid in a way that's resistive, right? Mm -hmm. um, how do we, how have these communities have always been figuring out how to relate to power in a way that perhaps doesn't bring that power, you know, make that power come tumbling down, mm -hmm. but, but, but generates more space, gives more leeway, so that more sort of liberatory moments are possible. Yeah. Um, that's how I want readers to read the book. And so, so really for, for me, um, one of the things that the book has allowed me to articulate and remind my own self as a writer is that um, th this, th there, there is a story to be told about um, <coughs> the ways in which uh, communities such as these, right, communities that I consider myself to be from, um, are always doing so much more than simply buckling under the pressure of domination, right? We're, we're making space and finding ways, and I think creolization names how that happens, right? Mm -hmm. To be more free, to be more joyful, um, and, and to do that in ways where we're not like, to do that in ways that allows us sometimes for like a very fleeting moment to give zero fucks about domination. Yeah. Right, and, and, and I think that's a story, that's, that's a story that often gets undertold, right? Because, because the work of, of, of of uh, giving language to domination and and the the intricacies of domination mm -hmm. is is really important work, right? But but what often gets left behind is like all of the other things that we do in an attempt to figure out different relationships to domination. Um, I really so, like that. So that's the gift <laughs> that I think I would most want readers to get from the book, and, and that's kind of where my headspace is right now. And I thinking more broadly around those questions. And I have to say, I mean, it, you know, talking about that gift is interesting because it's both a reminder about how to read the past, and it's a mm -hmm. reminder about, as you said, in this moment of a rise of right-wing fascism, you know, that, you know, structures of domination have never gone away and have been very intense, and people find spaces for to not give fucks to have joy exactly to make worlds. exactly that. and that and that's not to undermine the 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 weight and the severity of those structures of domination um um but but it's to remind us that that you know there 
that there are things that have that there are things that are happening in our now, right? Um, these sort of momentary, dare I say, small r sort of revolutionary mm -hmm. moments um, that that rob that power of its last word. Not forever, but it's okay that it's not forever, right? That's pretty phenomenal. So I, I mean, I it makes me think of you know of Ralph Ellison talking about white racism. And Ellison says, you know, the one thing, um, the one thing we can't let, or he's saying actually has not been taken from African Americans by white racism is the capacity for goodness and generosity. And that, Absolutely. that sense of domination is, is total, but also not total. I think your book absolutely exactly. thinks that through at multiple levels. So I, I I love you articulating the gift of the book that way because I think that absolutely resonates with how the book reads. I appreciate that. That is that's that's good to hear. And that's kind of what so right now I am sort of playing around with different like metaphors um and and geographic uh you know uh phenomena like mangrove like the entanglement of the mangrove to just come up with ways to 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 name that yeah. um the ways in which domination is sort of maybe over determining but not total in that kind of sense that you just referenced so what's the next project as in do you want me to give you a name for it? <laughs> no i mean where does the book because sort of what's your next horizon of that. research i mean you've i mean you've talked about it but you know, um, is it coalescing around a particular sort of set of questions or, you know, this because mm -hmm. the gift you say for the reader is, of course, the gift that you give to yourself in the composition of the book. And so I'm curious what, what that that gift is bearing for you in terms of its future. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so the next the next project is, um, you know, and I'm not I'm, I'm definitely entering into uh, you know, a, a vibrant, thriving intellectual space of a bunch of other people and texts working mm -hmm. on, you know, on these questions. But um, I want to think some more about um, uh, how do we fully theorize and name uh, living blackness, mm -hmm. right? Um, how do we theorize and name, um, you know, th those practices of freedom that emerge in this context of anti-blackness, um, and so sort of, and I think I, I think I think the book does that within this sort of very narrow space of nationness and community, and now I sort of want to take that question beyond that frame. So you know, I'm, I'm and I'm and I'm using entanglement as as my as my metaphor. Like I I actually I actually have been playing around with. Um, with balls of yarn <laughs> to, huh, to kind of like make tangible, like how to, to, to think about, how do we think about the entanglement of violence in a way that we can still kind of see spaces in between the entanglement? Interesting. Right, alongside and despite it. Um, that's, kind, that's kind of where I see myself going next. So, you know, I'm, I'm I'm reading um, Catherine McKittrick, and I'm reading Octavia Butler. I'm reading lots of Octavia Butler. Um, I'm, and that's totally cheating because it doesn't feel like work at all. <laughs> <laughs> Those are Octavia good moments. Butler. Right, exactly. Um, and I'm also actually, 
um, and, I, and I gesture towards this and I promise this it, towards the end of the book, um, I'm also, um, uh, you know, um, very interested in uh, and, and reading up on what indigenous feminisms have to say about this question, like how to make space for living livingness in a context where one should only expect death, right, or dying. Well, I can't wait to so, see where this all goes, and you know, just even hearing. John, you... me neither. <laughs> yes, me neither. Well, we have to have big ideas before they become written ideas. I figure, right? Absolutely, I agree. And I love, you know, I will just say, I, uh, I love the literacy in the book, which I said, you know, the constellation of thinkers, and it's just really exciting to hear you sort of talking about a whole new set of thinkers that animate your next project. So I love Creolizing the Nation. Uh, it's a fantastic book. Thank you for it. And really, thank you for making the time for this. Uh, it's an interesting Absolutely. book. Absolutely. I'm very, very interesting grateful. comments. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was fun. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.